0: there was once two old farmers. They had lived on their respective farms all their lives, and in fact, the farms had gone back generations before them. They grew up together, they had known each other, they had been friends through thick and thin. But like with many of us, just because we've been friends a long time doesn't mean we can't do some foolish thing. One day, Onto each of their farms, or to both of their farms, a stray cat wandered. And the and each farmer kind of took to that cat. And they fed the cat, and they held the cat, and they loved the cat. And they began to consider that cat to be theirs. Both of them. One day, when one of the farmers heard the other call that, his cat. He said, that's not your cat, that's my cat. And an argument developed. These two farmers who had grown up together and had worked hard side by side began to feud over this stray cat. One thing led to another and eventually they quit talking to each other. They wouldn't look at each other. If one was in town, the other would make sure they weren't. They even went as far as one of them did to take the natural spring that fed a creek that flowed through both of their properties to dig that that route, that creek up, and to build it or to make it into a, a creek that would be the border between the two farms. One day a man came by who, who knocked on one of the doors and said, uh, I'm a carpenter. I travel around and do odd jobs. I wondered if you have anything you would like for me to do. Any kind of odd jobs that, that have to do with the uh, carpentry. And the, what the farmer thought to himself for a moment and he said, Yeah, I think I do. Out there where my neighbor has dug that ditch and, and made that uh, stream to be the border. Uh, I'm so tired of looking at it and looking at him, I want you to build me a fence. I want to make a fence that's six feet high so I never have to see him again. The farmer said, wow, that's gonna be quite a project. Do you have enough wood? The farmer says, well, I got some wood in the barn and I'll go get whatever it is we need. So they, they, they went out to the barn and they saw what was there and he said, I'll tell you what, I think I know what you need. I'll start working. You go into town and you order the, uh, uh, the rest of the lumber. And so he did. When he, when he returned, he thought that he would see that the carpenter had made some steps of progress toward the building of this fence that would separate the neighbors formally from one another. But when he got there, he found out that the man had not built any part of the fence. But rather had built a bridge across that creek. And when he saw that, he was angry and he saw his farmer friend, his farmer neighbor, come out of the do- front door of his house toward that bridge. And he steadied himself and, and steeled himself for, for the confrontation that was to follow. And the man ran across the bridge with his arms out, saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry how could I have been so foolish? He says, I, I'm sorry, this is your cat. Now I tell you that story from a singer-songwriter named Chris Wilcox. Chris Wilcox wrote a song that was entitled Fearless Love. And when he sings his song Fearless Love, On stage, he always tells that story to introduce it, and that and the song is is a tale about two people in a church who got crossways with one another over some issue that was taking place, and they they um, began to feud and to spat with one another, and it was just it was a horrendous thing to go through. And one day, that one of the persons read in the uh, in the Bible where Jesus said, "When if one of the Roman soldiers compels you to carry his bag for a mile, carry it two miles." And he realized that his enemy was one that he had to serve and to and to care for if he were ever to demonstrate love to the world in the song one line in the chorus says of the of the song fearless love sa- says fearless love makes you cross the border the love that Jesus embodied to the world is the prime example of fearless love When God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus demonstrated and spoke the most loudly that had ever been spoken of God's love for humanity. A great temple in Jerusalem wouldn't do that. A great church anywhere on the planet could never do that. But Jesus came and embodied personified the love of God and you see when you see Jesus you see him as uh, the, the the personification of what God God's love is for you and that's not just true when Jesus hung on a cross but it's also true when Jesus was laid in a manger it was such humility Such simplicity. All God wants you to know this morning is this. He doesn't want you, or he's not asking you to clean up your act and get everything together and, and get thinking right and voting right and doing right. You know what he's doing? He says, listen to me. I love you. And I have a plan and a purpose for your life. So today I want us to to look at the love that God had in sending his son, Jesus. Some people, when Jesus came, got it. Some people recognize it. Have you noticed that? And we've been looking through the stories of of different individuals in in, in the story of Christmas. And we've seen people like Anna and Simeon. Old, older persons who recognized the prophecies, the promises that God had given concerning the sending of a Messiah, of a Christ. And they recognized Jesus as being the fulfillment of that promise. On the other hand, there was this young couple. Mary probably... Teenager, probably not even an old teenager, likely 14, 15, 16 years of age, Joseph, likely a young man himself, 18, 19, 20 years of age. And they were told to go to, that, that they were told that they were going to have the, the baby who would be the gift of God, the son of God. And they found out then that after Mary Said, okay, God, I will I will do what you've asked me to do. And Joseph says, I will do what you've asked me to do. The government said it's time for you to get up from where you are and go a hundred miles south to Bethlehem and register your name. We're taking a census of the empire. And the reason we want to do this is somewhere down the world, down the road, we want to tax you. We need to know where the tax. Tax lines are. That'll bless your heart to do at Christmas morning. And they traveled. Mary was great with child. I heard David Jeremiah say this weekend on television that if, if God would have made the proclamation of, of Jesus' birth or Mary would have responded more slowly, the baby would have already been born before they went to Bethlehem or maybe it would have been done or the baby uh, rather than being born in Bethlehem would have been carried to Bethlehem and it wouldn't have fulfilled scripture you see what I'm saying is that, that um, these are young people that are doing that contrast that with the older Anna and Elizabeth or how about Zechariah and Elizabeth the mother and father of John the Baptist They were people who were classically involved in the law. Both of them from the priestly line of Aaron. And they were were righteous and and obedient to all aspects of the law. They were people who were from, from all of their life had grown up in the synagogue. And had been there every time the doors opened, most likely. And contrast them with some of the others that that were involved. Oh, let's say like the shepherds. The shepherds were perhaps the lowest class in their caste system. They were just, they were, they were smelly. They were uneducated. They were were considered to be such outcasts, they they weren't even allowed to, to testify in court. You've got people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who are personifications of the law, and you've got people like the shepherds. And these are differences that all are being bridged by the coming of the Son of God, the birth of the Son of God. And I want to bring into the story one last set of characters. The story of the magi that come from the east. Bearing gifts to give to the newborn king. I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. We'll not have time today to to break everything down in this this story. But we do want uh, want to see what these ones... Had uh, in the part that they played and the message that they revealed with regards to God's love for, for us and sending Jesus into the world. And I call this finding love in our differences. Finding love in our differences. Matthew chapter 2. Notice with me beginning at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. I think that probably when you get a madman in charge, When he goes, when he becomes troubled, everybody else is troubled. It's kind of like that plaque that may hang in some of your kitchens that says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Verse 4, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod required of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet saying, "'Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him.' After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him, not her, him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold is a valuable commodity to be exchanged. Frankincense is, is is a spice that would have been used largely at the temple a part of the sacrifices and myrrh was a, a sedative if you will it was it was a medicine that was given it was very expensive and it would kill pain or it would dull pain and these were all given gold because jesus was born a king frankincense because jesus was born a priest and myrrh because jesus was born a savior Verse 12, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed by their own country another way. Here is the story of these men that we aren't really sure who they are. None of them are named, at least not in scripture. A lot of stories that tell this story give them names, but the Bible doesn't. We don't know who they are. We really don't know where they're from. Most that I have read say they are probably Magi from Persia, which would have been to the east of Jerusalem. But there are other scholars, many who believe that these men actually came from as far away as China. Whoever they were, they were scientists. They were astrologers. They were astronomers. They knew and they they understood that stars are fixed objects in the heavens. And that amongst these stars, and you can tell tell what the night sky is going to be like a year from today, two years from today, 20 years, 200 years, 2,000 years. God has placed them in their positions. He's named every one of them. This is scripture I'm quoting to you. And they, they understood that, that you, you can't count on politicians or the economy, <clears throat> but you can count on nature. The, the, the God established the heavens, and they're fixed. And amongst them are moving other objects like asteroids and comets, but also planets. In our solar system, there are eight to nine. I do not know what you want to do with Pluto. But these planets move. They're in different places around them. It is on the position of the planets that astrology charts are developed. So under what sign, under what star were you born? Persons who adhere to astrology might ask. As if somehow where Venus is, when you're born in such and such month, that determines who you are and what you do and what your day should be like. Uh, what I'm amazed by as I say these things is that people actually believe that. In fact, I read somewhere, this is, there's no charge for this. I read somewhere that more people constru- constru- uh, consult their astrological chart at the beginning of the day than it, that consult their Bible. As to, what God, as to what their days should be like. But these men were, were men that were well versed in that. And they saw something. Whatever it was. They saw something and they followed that star. Until it led to where Christ came. Here's what I want you uh, to where Christ was laid. Here's what I want you to hear me say. This is the important part of this. To fit in with this, the rest of the sermon. These were not Jewish men. They were Gentiles. Jesus was born King of the Jews. Why should they care about this little baby hundreds or maybe thousands of miles away? Why should they give expensive, extravagant gifts like gold and frankincense and myrrh when they He wasn't even of their race. He wasn't. He wasn't born to be their king. Or maybe he was. Maybe Jesus wasn't just born for a certain group of people. Maybe Jesus was born for the world. In fact, isn't that what your Bible says? That God so loved the people who were of the seed and the race of Adam, or of Abraham, and who are living in this little strip of land in the Middle East. That he sent his son Jesus? No, that isn't what it says. That he loved the world. Guess who's included in the world? We're all included in that, arm. God loves you. And he sent the very best, the most expensive gift he could give to demonstrate to you, to express to you, to tell you, I love I know you're not perfect. I know you've you've made some some mistakes and had some failures along the way. I I know and understand all that. I see it all. I, I know mistakes you've made that you don't know you've made. But this isn't about that. This is about how much I love you. And because I love you, I can change you. I can do a work in your life if you will just believe in the gift of my son Jesus. Here were some people who crossed a lot of borders to worship Jesus. Contrast that with Herod. Herod wanted to see Jesus himself, but for a completely different reason. He wanted to extinguish this young baby so that he would have no threat to his throne. So he wanted to go find Jesus as well, but he wasn't willing to cross the border. That these others did. So let let me share with you today about some truths that we need to know about God's love. Just to remind you of that here this Christmas season. Now The Bible talks about love in many places. The Bible tells us that God is love. And the Bible is his love story for all of us. From creation, God made people and he shared time uh, with them in the garden as companions and as children of his until sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it brought death and brokenness and separation and this close companionship and fellowship with God was broken. He continued to work, though, because it, because he loved, through a covenant that he made with certain humans. And through generations and generations, he worked his plan while promising a Messiah to come, a Christ to come, to make the way to restore his relationship with all of humanity. And that is why Jesus, who is described as the church and the church as his bride, came into the world. This relationship with God that he brings us is a relationship of love. And it is a reunion of humanity with love itself. So here's what I want you to hear me say. God's love is embodied in Jesus. To be embodied means you take it all together. How do you take love and Put it into the funnel until what comes out is the person of Jesus. That's what. That's what. Uh, that's how. How we. If you want to know if God loves you, you know how you know. Not if He gives you a new car or a swimming pool or the best Christmas ever. Maybe, but that's not the demonstration of His love. You see Jesus. When you see Jesus. Like in these little figurines that are here, and you see this little porcelain doll that's laid there before us, but you recognize what that represents. You see the embodiment of the love of God for you. Now, one of the greatest statements, I believe, about love is found in 1 John chapter 4. And I want to read to you some verses Out of 1 John chapter 4 that express the love that is personified through Jesus. 1 John 4 beginning in verse 7. Just follow along as I read. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Here's how we can see God loves us is another way of saying that. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment or the satisfaction of the debt that is owed. For our sins. Beloved, if we so love if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we have come to know and to believe. The love that God has for us. John tells us God is love. uh, John tells us that Jesus personifies that love. Love is God's nature. It is also his personage. It's who he is. He is love. And he's shown it to us by sending Jesus. As you read through the pages of scripture at the, at the birth of Jesus and you see the angels singing and shouting and, and, and you see uh, the shepherds rejoicing and you see Mary and, and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah and all of these others look at Jesus and, and say, wow, great deal. You, don't, you know what you don't hear? You don't hear God saying, well, this costs me a lot. This was pretty expensive for those kind those people. Because God, God desires to pour out his very best on us. He demonstrates that through the giving of Jesus. But I want you to know and understand it's not limited to that. In every avenue and area of your life, God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he wants his best for you. He wants his best for you more than you want his best for you. The difference is sometimes he knows what's best for us is not the same thing that we think is best for us. But he loves us. And if you're not, if you're you're complaining to, to God about, God, why'd you let this happen to me? Here's the way you handle that. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and you will see God loves you. And you may not have full understanding of how he's demonstrating that love to you right now. But when you see Jesus, you see he loves you wholeheartedly and wants his best for you. Let me take you to the second point that I have today. That, God, that God's love is embodied in Jesus, but also God's love living through us. Defines us. Love defines God, but love is also to define us. I'm going to quit preaching for just a minute and go to meddling. This world, when it sees a Christian home, a Christian family, a Christian couple, a Christian individual, a church, a body of Christ, You know what it should see every moment of every day at all times and in every circumstance? That we are loving each other. Now sometimes some stray cats are going to wander in. And we're going to chase the wrong things. We're people. We're humans. We make mistakes. But we can still love each other. And the church has to demonstrate to this world, if it will ever understand who Jesus is, This world is going to know that, not because of the great sermons we can have or the great television streaming ministries we can have, but because when they see us love each other, it will demonstrate, it will define God's love for them. And until we, the church, get that act, that part of our act together, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle impacting this world. And we're going to kind of see ourselves as enemies of the world. They're our foe. We've got to defeat them. The world isn't our foe. The world's our mission field. And we have to, with love, take the love of God to them. God's love defines us. You know where that comes from? From Jesus himself. Jesus said in John chapter 13 verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. As far as I can tell in all the gospels. The only. The only commandment that Jesus. Gave to his followers was this one right here. That you love one another. Just as I've loved you. That you are also to love one another. Why? Because in this way. By this. All people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love. For one another. Love defines us. Love is. That which. Marks and characterizes us. Imagine that if you to do a survey of people in the world today who are not Christians, not Christ followers, and ask them how can you tell if someone's a Christian. Some of them would say, "Well, there are certain things they do and certain things they won't do," and they kind of stand in judgment of other people. They have kind of a better than thou. This is the way I think the world would look at. In fact, you may have people in your family who look at you in that same regard. But you know what they should say? I can tell they are Christians because they love each other. They love me. They love the world. They care about others, and they serve others. That's the way we are to be defined. So here at Christmas time, we're not going to be defined Merely by our Christmas services, by our observance of Advent, or by a Christmas Eve candle and communion service, we must be defined by that which Jesus said must define us, and that is by our love. I know and understand, because I live in the same world you do, there are some people it's hard to love. Hello? Hello? I hope that you're not sitting next to one of those, but you might be some people that are really, really hard to love. You know what you have to do with people that are hard to love? Love them harder. Do more. Work at it more. Ask God. He'll give you the love that you need. After all, that's what he wants you to accomplish. And if you come to him and say, God, I have tried to love this man. I have tried to love this woman, this neighbor, this this child, this parent. I have done all I can do. God will say to you, okay, is it time for me to take over? I can love them through you. That's how we are are to be defined. Love defines us. Let me give you a, I could stay here for a while, but let's move on third thing that I want you to see is that love empowers us to cross the borders okay now you may have thought that this was a nice easy lovey sermon up till now but these are divided times we live in duh right I mean wow It seems our culture, our nation, our world, our people have multiplied ways to divide us. It seems like the us and the thems have been running very high as of late. By no means an excuse, but throughout history our world has been filled with wars and plunder and oppression. There has always been the weak and there have always been the powerful, the haves and the have nots. There has not too much, there's not been too much us versus them since Jesus' day. Oh wait, there has been, hasn't there? In fact, it also predates his coming. There have always been divisions among us. It may be race, it may be gender, it may be faith, or creed, or whatever it may be. But there are a lot of age, R and D. There are a lot of things that separate us. Take a deep breath. We've got to cross those borders to share the love of Jesus. How can we do that? love enables us to cross the border the story that i told you at the beginning of this message about the man who who was set out to build a fence but instead the carpenter built a bridge the other the other farmer saw that as an expression of love for him and so he went across the bridge To embrace the one who demonstrated love. That's what love will do for us. In the separations that we have. If we can do things that bridge those borders. We can make an impact and a difference in the world. And not just in the world out there. But the world in here. That's why. What Jesus was teaching was so radical. It's why God's love is so radical. In, uh, in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this statement, "You've heard it said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." Let me just say, that is a reckoning, or in fact, it's cited in many, many places as a quote out of, out of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. I went back and read Leviticus 19, 18, and that's not what it says. It doesn't say what Jesus says. Instead, it says, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. But you see, the teachers and the rulers of Jesus' day had said, well, here's what it means. You should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's only natural. Everybody's that way. That isn't what the Word of God says. In fact, the next verse, look at what Jesus says. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, who do wrong to you. Jesus didn't only tear down the walls of division at his birth. He continuously reached across the the chasms of separation and exclusion throughout his ministry he befriended hated tax collectors even invited one of them to follow his, one of his 12 disciples he spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well which broke a couple of societal taboos at one time Jews didn't associate with Samaritans and Jewish men did not talk with women like this in public he told his listeners that if they dreaded Roman soldier forced them to carry his pack for a mile which the soldiers legally could do and did do to carry it two miles instead. Jesus was radical. When he was talking about loving your enemies, he meant it. He meant it. One of his most powerful stories of this kind of unexpected love and action is the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember it? A man travels from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he was robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. So a priest came along. He didn't have time, and he chose instead to walk on the other side of the road to avoid the bloody scene. A Levite came along and did the exact same thing, but finally a Samaritan, the dreaded enemy, came along, saw the man, and he stopped to help him. The Samaritan bandaged the man's wounds, put him on his own donkey, and carried him and delivered him to an inn where he paid the innkeeper to take care of the man until he could return. That's a challenging story for us today. Imagine what it was like in Jesus' day. There was was racism toward the Samaritans that went back centuries when the kingdom of Israel had split. Samaritans intermarried with foreigners and established their own temple to worship in. The Jews considered them an inferior race. With a corrupt religion and viewed them with prejudice and disdain. But this is, said, is who Jesus was holding up as an example of loving our neighbor. You know what that Samaritan did? He crossed the divide. He crossed the border. He reached across the cultural, spiritual, political, and racial divisions. And today the call is for us to do the same. The fear that that is driven out by love is the fear that's within us. Love overcomes the fear of the other who may not look like us or sound like us or share the same perspective or experience as us. And it may be that this is not something that's in the Middle East only. It may be something that's in your own home. Jesus at Christmas and all the time calls us together into his loving presence and invites us to make room for all, whether we think they deserve it or not. There is a humility in love, a willingness to put somebody else first. Sometimes love means taking the simple step of building that bridge as a gesture and an invitation. Sometimes it's being willing to listen and not to defend. It's always being willing to choose to see someone else, not as other, but as equally loved by God, equally welcomed into his presence, equally drawn into and propelled out of his miraculous, divine, all-consuming love. This is God's love. This is the gift of Christ. It is the heart of Christmas. This is what love speaks to us at Christmas time. Not just that God loved us, but that he first loved us so we can love him back. And if we we can love him back and the love of Christ or the love of God is in us, we we can and also must love. One another. Behold what a. Wonderful. Marvelous gift. That God gave to us. Personified. His love personified. When he sent Jesus. Into the world. I would like for you to pray with me. If you will please. Father, today our hearts are are overwhelmed as we reflect on the love that you you pour out on us, the love that you demonstrated to us when you sent Jesus for us. So, Father, I, I pray that today your love might continue to overwhelm, to consume us. So much so, Father, that we begin to reflect your love to others. So I pray for this room of individuals in in fellowship here today, as well as those who are watching by way of, of video, that we might be captivated and drawn into the wonder of your great love for us, that we might allow it to wash over us, and then to be used by that, to impact our world so that others who need to know this truth will see it and hear it in us. We love you, Father. We desire to know how to to do that better and more fully. Now, Father, in these next few moments, as we make these commitments to you, I pray that your Holy Spirit might just speak to our hearts with what we should do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.